Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Platov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. I am to read to you a little thing here, a little quip from the record of Rinzai. I kind of like this. Rinzai says to the monks gathered there, brothers, at this moment, he who shines brightly and listens to my sermon stays nowhere and freely permeates all the dimensions of the three worlds. But though he goes every which way, he cannot be diverted. In an instant, he pervades the Dharma Dhatu. When he meets a Buddha, he wins over the Buddha. When he meets a patriarch, he wins over the patriarch. When he meets an arhat, he wins over the arhat. When he meets a preta, he wins over the preta. No matter where he goes, he enlightens all beings there. Now he starts out with brothers at this moment. Well, this moment, of course, uh, encompasses this moment, which is the beginningless beginning and the endless end. This moment covers the past, the present, and the future. This moment. This moment is all there is. This world, this universe, <laughs> It is called a here-now continuum. The here-now continuum in which we find ourselves, in which there is no past. There is only this moment. There is no future. There is this moment. And in, in a way, when it's first experienced, it is, a, it is rather disconcerting because here you are and you can't remember any past. There isn't any past. And then you begin to think, well, I have to have a past. How did I get this way unless I had a past? I believe this and I believe that and I believe the other thing. 
I don't have any past, where did it come from? I don't have any past. Where did it come from? How did I get this way? But there isn't any way. It's, it's always now. And it's always here. It's, it's quite interesting, this world we live in and won't allow ourselves to see. Hmm? This moment, that's all we have. And the only thing that stands in your way from seeing this moment is your thinking. <laughs> now, he, he, he who shines brightly and listens to my sermons stays nowhere and freely permeates all the dimensions of the three worlds. Well, the three worlds are the Dharmakaya, <coughs> the Sambhogyakaya, and the Nirmanakaya. The Dharmakaya and the Sambhogyakaya and the Nirmanakaya. Sambhogyakaya is a body of bliss. Dharmakaya is the mother of the 10,000 things. And the Nirmanakaya is the transforming. He who creates. This is uh, what in Christianity they call the Christ. The Nirmanakaya. <coughs> He who shines brightly, bright and shining. He who shines brightly. <clears throat> when you look inside yourself, you look within. He who shines brightly. Well, this has reference in this particular instance to the consciousness. He who shines brightly. This very consciousness. Many people, uh, there used to be woman in Vista too, they have an experience of seeing a light, a shining, something shining, and they say, oh, I have seen God. And they haven't. 
to have seen consciousness. In one of the sutras, Mahabrahm, Maha means great and Brahm is God, great God, Mahabrahm appeared to the Buddha in one of the sutras it's written about. And the Buddha was in very deep meditation. And here this this appears, this Mahabrahm. You see, today we would read a book and say, that says, <clears throat> if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. Uh, and one teacher once said, if you if you're sitting in meditation and you meet Jesus, kick him out. this Mahabrahm appears to Buddha and Buddha was in this very deep meditation and this Mahabrahm says to Buddha I am the father of all fathers the king of all kings and the spirit of all spirits now this is describing of course a very great being Ma's great being, huh? The spirit of all spirits. Supposing in your meditation something like this happened to you, somebody came and, and you know, and very shining and said, I'm the king of kings, I'm the father of all fathers, and I'm the spirit of all spirits. What would you do with it? You'd fall down and say, oh God, yes, please, I'm so glad you came to see me. <laughs> See, and then you would pat yourself on the back for being such a good boy or good girl or whatever. What's the matter with this cushion? <laughs> Wait a minute here. Okay. But supposing something like that happened to you, would you believe him if he came? <clears throat> Well, if you did, you would be living from then on out under the spell of a very great delusion. And you know you would get so entwined with it that nobody could ever take it away from you. And you would die under this great delusion. And what good would it have done you? Nothing. Nothing. And this Buddha, he's sitting under this tree and he'd been sitting for a number of years, and he sat with all the forest people and so on and so forth, and had almost died with his seeking, you know, living on 10 grains of rice a day and all that nonsense. And uh, he didn't believe this guy. You know. 
And not only that, you see, here this guy comes he bragging about what he is and what he can do and look at me and I can do this for you. I'm Mahabram. And that's not the sort of thing Buddha was after. Buddha just wanted the truth, the truth of the matter. Hmm? <clears throat> he could have settled for a lot less. An awful lot of people at that time did. And an awful lot of people in this time are doing the same. Hmm? He had had disciples. They gave him up. He had studied with the best that there were at that day and age. And then when he settled under the bow tree, his disciples came back to him, all five of them. And with the teachers that he had studied under, he knew what they knew. And he said, there's something more here. There's something more. And he sat under that Bodhi tree, and he sat there all those years until he saw the morning star. And then he says, I am awake. All of that that he searched for and what he went through and what he discovered up to that time and when he sat under the tree and what he discovered after he was, or all during the time he was sitting under the tree and everything, all the sutras, the agamas and the shastras and everything else, he has bequeathed all of that to you. All you have to do is pick it up. Pick it up, examine it, and find the truth for yourself. With that kind of help. Yeah. Anyway, the Buddha said to this Mahabram, You are mortal! Mahabram. See, you are not the father of all fathers. You are not the king of all kings. And you are not the spirit of all spirits. Eh? And this Mahabram was very shocked. And he says, Well, then who is the father of all fathers? If I'm not the father of all fathers, who is the father of all fathers? See, this great God. And the Buddha says to him, there is none. <laughs> then he goes on to say, he, he is the father of all fathers. Very difficult, maybe. To us, <clears throat> in our objective, self-conscious states, in our thinking that our thinking is the end-all and be-all of everything, 
I mean, we have endowed our thinking with a, we have crowned it as a great, the greatest glory. And we have uh, given ourselves to it so that we have become subservient to our thinking. And that, of course, includes the emotions, which has kind of got the cart before the horse. Everything existing Anything existing exists as consciousness. There is a what sometimes is called a primary mover, the Godhead, the primary is a so-called non-existent state. So-called non-existent. Everything that exists is known as consciousness. What about this non-existent state? Now, <clears throat> this Mahabram represents what we could call a state of the highest consciousness. But it is not the Father. Mahabram is a kind of a light. He speaks the word of light. And when he speaks the word of light, it has all the same meanings as the word that would be spoken by us, we humans. He, this Mahabram, is the highest that we can go in or with consciousness. He is a jumping off place to something else. And uh, the Buddhists, for lack of a better term, call it non-existence. In Buddhism, this non-existence is called the Dharmakaya. Also in Buddhism, this human consciousness is, is simply, is, is regarded as simply a secondary part of consciousness. The non-existent is the primary part of consciousness. It is a latent consciousness, and even the great Rinzai keeps his mouth shut.
Now, however, embodied, embodied in this human consciousness, this human being, is what is called the Buddha, not the man, but the Buddha. We call it the Christ. It has also been called the Lord Maitreya. Now the Lord Maitreya is um, he's the coming Buddha. And he's supposed to come again in about 30,000 years. And he will be the last of the Buddhas. That's what they say. So you figure it out for yourself what they intend by that. Huh? Um, the great Lord Maitreya is also regarded as the coming Christ. Anyway, the, uh, the Dharmakaya is uh, understood through the Sambhogyakaya and the Nirmanakaya, through the body of bliss and through the transformation, through the transforming act. <clears throat> now, with our human consciousness, we can reach the father of consciousness, his highest state. And we can give this state a great many names, and we do, because you know, as the as Sufis say, there are the 99 names of God, and this is what we have done. And when we come to the hundredth name, it's All these 99 names of God do not prove anything because they are simply names. It's like we look at a tree. There's something that stands in front of us. It can be a big tree, little tree, what we call tree, but something is standing there. huh? <clears throat> and we have given it the name of a tree like we have named everything else. We have these names all over the place. Okay. What has given it its name is human consciousness. It's a human mind has given a name. It's a tree. That's okay because we use it for communication purposes. That's a tree, and then we classify that's an oak tree, and over there is a poplar tree, and over there is a magnolia tree, and over there is a yew tree. So we know there are different kinds of trees. Hmm? But then we have another problem with this, and that is that as soon as we name it, we believe that that which stands before us is a tree. 
is a tree. This is this is of identity. It is a tree. It can't be anything else. It is a tree. That's its name and therefore that's what it is. And we have done this with ourselves. But look at that. Hmm? Neither the name which we have applied to this object, tree, we have applied this name, nor our human mind, because this is objectively conscious. It does not tell us what it actually is. Do you know what that is out there? It's standing there that Iris so kindly put those lights on. What is it? What is it? It's hard put to get away from tree. Yeah, you're so identified with that's a tree. Of course it's a tree. What else are you going to do with it? What else can you call it? Well, I'm calling a lot of things. And nobody knows any more about it than if you call it a tree. It's a tremendous mystery standing there. Tremendous mystery. Passes us by all the time because, oh yeah, it's a tree. Oh yeah, there goes Bill. There goes Mary. We know them. Sure we know them. could say, how well do you know yourself? You know your name. You say, I. What do you know about yourself? Hmm? Yeah. Little children, you know, and we've all been there, and we've all been taught the same thing. That's a table. That's hot. <laughs> 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 that's an eye, that's a mouth, that's a nose. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. That's what it is. Through the eyes they can see, and through the nose they can smell, and with the mouth they can taste, and they can talk. But we, do we tell them this very vital something, that they are conscious, that they are aware? I mean, what do you feel when you touch this? You feel something because you're alive. You see this. Why? Because you're alive. You're conscious. You're aware. Bring awareness into the picture. 
And I say, children, <laughs> you know, how often do you do this? I'm alive. I can feel that. I have a sense of touch. You see, you go through your days and you look at everything and you judge everything and you discriminate all around. The sense of touch. Hmm? So extremely important. Your body is a sense of touch. Your eyes are a sense of sight. Your nose is a sense of smell. Your ears are the sense of sound. Your mouth is a sense of taste. You have a sense of balance. It's in the head here someplace. Sense of touch. Where did it come from? What actually is this sense of touch? All the time you're with it. What is it? Where did it come from? With this objective self-consciousness, we cannot prove identity. With this objective state, very difficult uh, to prove a latent consciousness. But through meditation, we're trying to bring it, bring it forth, allow it to emerge bring it forth. We sort of submerge our consciousness and then allow this to emerge. You know, it's like Jesus called Lazarus from the dead. Come out. Come out. Come out of the cave. Lazarus was lying in a cave. Come out of this tomb. Come out emerge, come out. Hmm? Submerging of mind is called a descent. And then allowing this latent state to emerge is the ascent. You know, we're so caught in this is of identity, which Aristotle said and saw, observed so clearly all those many years ago. You know, is of identity simply means I am, which simply means I'm an ego. I am important. I am somebody. I am. The use of identity. Hmm? And uh, I have even been confronted with somebody who, now and then who says, but I'm nobody. I am nobody. 
And then those little eyes look at me and say, <laughs> you really believe this? <laughs> huh? Yeah. Yeah. He stays nowhere and freely permeates all the dimensions of the three worlds. Now, this consciousness, Lola's consciousness, and I can't say Lola, the consciousness that we call Lola, is here. And now I ask you, where is here? Yeah, where is here? Again, we have identification, don't we? Yeah. Say now for one instant, you didn't have your thousands of points of identification. I mean, it would take you maybe half an hour to enumerate your identifications of locality. You were going to write them all down because <laughs> you are at this place, you are in this building, which is so far away from Escondido and so many miles from San Marcos downtown and so many things, miles from um, the ocean, Carlsbad, and then of course Jane would say and so many miles from New Mexico or Palma Valley and Beth would say well so many miles from Colorado and then then comes all of these identifications in New Mexico or in Colorado and uh, there is this building, there is the other building in which you live, your friends, your spouses, all of these are identifications to give you a place in which you think you are. And then you say, here, I am here, because my body is here. Because my body is here, here is where I am. Hmm? Okay, I'm here. Consciousness is here. But what is this here, actually? Actually. And if I say to you, this here is nowhere. Oh my God, I can't be nowhere. Oh, good Lord. I am right here with my feet on the ground and my head in the skies and I can see the stars. Of course I'm here. I've got Escondido there and San Marcos there and I Deer Springs Road is out there, and this is Sarver Lane. I know exactly where I am. No, you don't. All you have is points of identification. If they are not, you don't know where you are. 
now this consciousness permeates this he permeates I mean the three worlds and in this now we talk about another three worlds these three worlds are called Kamadatu which is a desire ego body ego and desire so closely linked with a knife you could cut them Rupadatu which is name and form and sometimes called appearance you have the appearance of a form and you have a name whatever name was given you by your parents and the name that you have of yourself for yourself which is I and me and myself these are names you know so this is the appearance hmm? and sometimes it's called a seeming world it seems to be this and it seems to be that it appears to me to be but we don't usually qualify in this kind of a manner we just say it's that and it's this and it is this and always with this is of identity it appears to be it appears to me to be it seems to be it is a seeming world it is a world of appearances. And then we have another world, and this is called Ahubadatu. It is a world of no form, a formless world, and a non-seeming world, non-appearance. It is direct and it is immediate. Now in all the stages and all the states of these three worlds, he, he, who is non-existent, penetrates all of them and never leaves a trace. It is with you always. All the while you're going through all your turmoils and all your happinesses and all your downs and all your ups. It is with you always. Your whole life long from the first breath to the last one with you and you never pay it any attention <clears throat> and you know somebody brought up a thing the other day did I read it or did I hear it on the television somewhere it dropped into my head good question where does your last breath go? 
But this he who is in this non-existent world so with you so ignored is like the moon in the water leaves no trace pond is there, the reflection of the moon, the moon sinks, not a trace did he leave, hmm? it's like a cloud in the sky, no trace, like the bird flies through the sky, no trace. Now this human mind human consciousness also penetrates everywhere but the difference is it is always contained by a circumference it always has an objective body of sensations. When the body returns to its original substance, then this mind, this consciousness, has no place to be embodied. There's no place for it to stay. Now, I call it, right at the moment, human consciousness, but it's the same consciousness. Same consciousness that's in the dogs and the cats and the plants and the fish and the stones. It's different states, but same consciousness. This aspect of consciousness is always, shall we say, in something. It is always embodied within something that has sensation. And in case you're not aware of it, a stone and a rock, or, you know, is not dead matter. It is something, I think, that one should ponder upon. Why these senses? It is of some great importance. I mean, that's why I asked you, you know, you have this sense of touch. From whence cometh it? This, this rock, a stone, and you know, I always have one on the podium. It, 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 it's important. You know, it's what do you know about a rock? What do you know about a stone? You know you can make a samyana with a stone. You can become one with it. 
What do you think happens to the stone? What do you think happens to you? Something happens in there. For something that we have, we are so sensate. We are so sensate. This body, these eyes and these ears and everything. We live with these. We live by them. They report to us what is going on. Because of it, we have response and reaction, so we know that something's going on here and out there, so-called, in here and out there. What about all these sensations? I mean, here we're struggling away, going to know ourselves and know God and everything. We're going to overlook this? I think not. I think not. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.